Hi everyone, you're listening to the Red Dirt Nation podcast. I'm here with Timothy Everett, who's a Kiwi Aussie of the very best kind. And Tim, if you just introduce yourself to those people who are listening in. Yeah, g'day. Timothy, that haven't been called that for quite some time. Only when I'm naughty, usually. Um, yeah, look, name's Tim or Timbo. I get called all sorts of things. I'm a, a husband and uh, oh, 25 years now. Um, Dad to four kids, got a bit of a bit of a spread from twenty one yesterday, right down to uh, a young one who's six. So yeah, been an Aussie for 20, 20 years or twenty one years now. Josh was born here, um, but yeah, proud Kiwi before that. Still support support the All Blacks. Yeah, yes. Well, why would you abandon the All Blacks when the Wallabies would be your other choice? <laughs> Timothy is a, a friend of mine. I've known him for a long, long time, and he's he's had quite a, a, an interesting life, as a lot of us have. And we want to talk a little bit about that together today, just to give you some insight into who he is. I mean, these are just stories of ordinary people, and that's what we want Red Dirt Nation really to profile, people who are living life, um, unheard of, many of us, but um, but we're doing our best in the places that we are. And, uh, and Tim's got some really good things to share with us, I think, so we're just going to move straight into it. We're going to dive deep right from the get-go, because uh, Tim was adopted and um, I'd like to explore with him, you know, how he found out, what that felt like. And we're going to chat a little bit about uh, the impact of that sort of discovery when someone suddenly realizes, hey, uh, um, I'm from uh, some other parents. Mm. Yeah, I guess there's all sorts of different stories that people have about finding out all of a sudden or whatnot. I, I was fortunate, fortunate enough to know pretty much my whole life, my, my parents who adopted me, that was they. They always let me know that there was someone else out there. I had a mum out there who um, who had to give me up for whatever reason. They didn't know. Um, and yeah, my my story with my finding my birth mother to start with um, starts, I guess, when I was about nineteen or something. And I I'd had one of those times when um, she had inquired about me, and my parents had passed that on. And I decided I'd write her a letter which being the tidy 19-year-old that I was, that letter ended up on my bedroom floor for about 12 months. Um, and then when I eventually found it again, being about 20, I, I kind of, yeah, I wrote to her and we started connecting from, from there. I was able to write to the hospital where I was born and they were able to pass that letter on to her. And um, yeah, then she got in contact with me. Must have been a strange first exchange of communication. Obviously, you you initiated that, which is really cool. Um, how did that go? Was it awkward? Did it warm up pretty quickly? What was your experience? Yeah, oh man, I was super nervous, and I it it felt looking back, it felt awkward at the time. Um, but I think it was awkward from all of us because we didn't know. Like there was so much water under the bridge we didn't know how each other felt we didn't yeah um so there was some some letters and some phone conversations early on I'm showing my age when I say letters because it wasn't emails it was snail mail um but yeah and then we actually yeah when we but when so by the time we met together we'd had a fair bit of correspondence and it was it was reasonably comfortable yeah so good. And the parents who adopted you and they obviously loved you and invested you for a long, long time. How, how did they relate to this situation or how did all that go? Yeah, I, I guess as I look back, I probably didn't think about that too much at the time. Um, it was probably more about my journey, I guess. Um, but they were supportive 
of of me exploring that like I say they, they'd never hidden it from me which which I I found as a really great comfort a good a good benefit um, because it wasn't a surprise to me um, and so they have right along even up to today they're still supportive of that journey and and me getting to know my birth mum um, and subsequently from that my dad and my my siblings I went from having a brother and a sister who were also adopted to um, suddenly having nine siblings it was like huge yeah in Greece so many more birthday cards all of a sudden so so suddenly the family expands and um, and you know you you probably had the best environment in that you, you were aware from from the get-go really but how do you think that it shaped you? How, is being someone who has been adopted, does that sort of uh, shape the way you look at the world or, or, or did it not have so much impact on your sense of being, I suppose? Look, I, I, think, it, I think it has. Um, and if I think about kind of what it might have, what shape it's, how it shaped my thinking, um, I think about being adopted in or accepted into something um, and man, my whole life and probably for a lot of people, we we look at being how, how do I become accepted into a group of people, whether it's friends or family or whatever that looks like. Um, and certainly my adoptive parents were a great example of what that really looked like. I was I was their son. There was no ifs, buts or, you know, pretense about that. I, it was as if I was their own because I, I, I am. I, I am their own. Um, and I think that's shaped the way I look and accept people, I think, because I've experienced that myself. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. We're going to talk a little bit later about what Tim does these days, and, and you might see how that uh, growing up experience shapes you. Someone once described this sort of thing to me as sovereign foundations. There are things that, that uh, God, if you believe in God, puts in your life that you had nothing, no control over, but they end up being kind of the foundation upon which you, you build a life. And, and for those people who do believe in God, we see that that's sort of his plan and purpose is unfolding in that. So I guess part of Tim's sovereign foundations, if you're happy to roll with that idea, is that, is that being accepted um, really did show him, demonstrate to him uh, how p- profound and powerful that can be. So there could be some people listening who have been adopted. Tim, they might not have had perhaps as positive experience as you have, uh, and that's real. We want to keep it real here at Red Dirt Nation. But um, what what sort of advice or what would you share with someone who might be struggling with the fact that they are adopted? Yeah, wow. Good question. Um, I guess... If I look at my again my own journey, and I want to acknowledge that everybody's journey is is different, and my story is pretty is, is unique to me, um, and other people may not have had a, like you said the positive experience that I have had. I think what helped me was going, giving it my all, but holding it loosely. And I know it's it, it kind of seems like it's a bit of an oxymoron, but and those two things don't quite come together somehow but they do I was totally committed to finding out who I was and what that part of my journey looked like but also kind of going but you know what I'm still complete without knowing it without it working out wow that's um that's pretty pretty helpful so 
again, it's your story. We're not pretending to be able to speak directly into that, but that that oxymoron, that paradox of of you know being intentional, but also being able to let go. Wow, that's such a hard space to be in, but such an important one. So you know, maybe that's something that might help you a little bit along your way. What's your relationship with your parents like now? Um, well, with my my adoptive parents, we live on the same property. You know, we we effectively share a house with with them which is fantastic for for us for me um for my wife for for our kids you know um to spend time with their grandparents um with my adoptive parents um my yeah i still have reasonably regular contact with my birth mum living she lives in new zealand um and and my sisters we were uh, messaging just last night because uh, it was yeah my oldest 21st yesterday so just some yeah some connection through that as well so yeah that's really good yes well the his the parents who adopted him offered me coffee on the way in but um tim makes better coffee so i chose to have coffee here well tim's talked a bit about belonging and how important that is to us all but how important it's been to him and what he's learned in the story of his life and i think in some ways that informs what tim does these days because he helps people, young people particularly, who don't feel like they belong inside school systems or other systems. Tim, do you just want to paint a bit of a picture for us about what you do? Yeah, yeah. I, and that's exactly the young people I work with. Um, pretty much the work I predominantly do is entirely with youth justice young people, so kids who are either in youth detention or on their way there or on their way out of there. Um, most particularly, I, I use outdoor adventure-based learning stuff to to help them have different a different experience of life, to have a go at learning something a different way, um, and it's a, a way for us to be able to connect with them and show value to them. And we're going to talk a bit about how that learning happens. Uh, Tim will describe later you know, some of the specifics about what he does. But we were talking prior to the, this little chat about, um, about the prison system and about young people in the juvie system, and he told me some things that I didn't know, and I'd like him to share those with us. Yeah, I, a lot of the young people that we work with, a lot of the young people in the detention centre or youth prison, 80% um, you know, of those uh, have been picked up by the police. It's no longer safe for them to go home or it's not safe for other people to have them be at home um, and so 80% of those young people in detention uh, they're on remand so they've they might have had an initial appearance with a judge but they haven't actually been sentenced um, and yet that's where they have to be for their own safety or someone else's safety and there are perhaps better models I mean there'd be heaps better models than, than that um, what's one model that you're sort of involved with when it comes to helping kids not be in that system uh, when they haven't been through court or anything yet yeah yeah there's and a thing that got started that um it's called a community house it's, but it was initially known as a bail house where um it was effectively a home set up where young people could go instead of going to detention to have um a, a safer environment than being at home um and yet not as not as confronting as detention because what what we've found out what the statistics talk about is that the more time a young person spends in detention, the more likely they are to head back there. So if we can curb that to start with, I think as a as a community and as a nation, we're in a much better place. 
So Tim's sort of um, in that space and also coaching in that area as well. And that's why, you know, I just so value his story. And he's one of those unsung heroes, in my view, that go about doing doing a job of often rescuing people who are, you know, on the edge of perhaps something not so good. And, and Tim tries to be one of these people that, that put a fence at the top of that cliff. And, and um, I just so value him and people like him who work in places like that. Now, adventure-based learning is a big part of the model that you generally are involved with. Describe, you know, a typical adventure-based learning adventure. Yeah, I'll tell you a story. Um, I love stories because it's because it's they're about people, um, and I love seeing people change. Um, I was on a working with this this group of young people, um, and there was a young fella there, not a little young fella, but a big young fella, probably about 120 kilos. We do heaps of cool stuff, like we we've got a big white water raft that we take out in the ocean to catch waves together as a group. If we don't work together as a group, we don't catch anything. We get smashed by the waves whatever you know anyway we turned up this day and this young person he looked at me and he said i don't do water eh?" (laughs) and um i said that's cool bro that's all right well let's just what are you like if you're happy to hear what we're going to do let's have a talk about it and then um see what you want to do after that so we we talked about the safety stuff we had life jackets we had helmets so the fact that we're going to be working together and staying together and not leaving anyone behind and um, at the end of the, the, the brief, he kind of said, I'll try on a life jacket. I'll see if there's one that fits me. And he tried it on. And yep, we found one that, fit, that fitted him. Um, and then he came out in the boat. And we had an awesome day. We had so much fun. And he, we got smashed. We got chucked out of the raft a couple of times. And, but we stuck together. And we got back in the raft. And we yeah, had a fun day. And I'll never forget sitting, him sitting in the car at the end. And I went over to say, see you later to him. And he just kind of looked up at me and and lifted his chin and his eyes at the same time and kind of said that was all right eh? i'll do that again and then and i thought okay that's awesome he's had a great experience and conquered some challenges perhaps that he was feeling some some fears about water anyway fast forward a a month or a couple of months or so um, we continued to work with the same group of young people we were going to go on a camp with them and the the camp was going to include a, a canoe paddle again he said to me i'm not too sure about this paddling in a canoe tim and uh, I said, mate, how about if we join two raft, two two canoes together and make a raft? You know, won't be able to tip over. You'll feel, you know, be, might be feel a bit safer. And he said, oh yeah, I'd, I'd give that a go. So we joined these two together and we paddled out to camp together. Um, and this this is with a group of you know up to you know twelve young people were there. Um, we camped the night, uh, and he, he had a great day that day. Paddled fine, didn't tip out, didn't get wet. Next morning we were about to paddle back to where we'd come from. I said to him, mate. Do you want to go in the raft again or do you want to have a go in a single canoe? Perhaps we can go, to, go together, you know, we'll give it a go together if you like. And um, he said, oh, I'll give a single one a go. So we loaded up our stuff and we got in and boom, we went straight over, straight in the water. Both of us absolutely soaked. Um, so we kind of, we had a bit of a yarn about it and came up with a, bit, a slightly different strategy of how he could sit and what it might, how it might work. And he got in and he paddled half the journey back in a single canoe. And I kind of look at his journey from the first day we met at the beach to being willing to get in a single canoe where he totally wasn't in his comfort zone and even tip out into the water and still keep giving it a go and I think that's growth that's awesome wow what a great story you're listening to the Red Dirt Nation podcast we're yarning about being and doing 
My name's Warren Crank and I'm here with Tim Everett and we're sharing some stories about his life and what he does these days to help young people. Why do you think those outdoorsy, adventure-based things really work, Tim? I think it's a chance to experience something. You're, like, you're, you're, you're doing it. You're not just hearing it or you're not just seeing it. Um, and again, like I love what I, what I do is backed up by research, you know, and we, we remember so much more that we participate in and that we're actually involved in than what we hear or read, you know, it's like 20% compared to 80%. Um, and so I think young, young people and particularly young people in the youth justice system that I work in, they're, they're so, they're so experiential and, and they're, they're, they're not geared for school they're not geared for the classroom where a teacher talks at them or they have to read to learn but to actually learn those life lessons by doing um, I think that's really really powerful and what we seek to do is give them the opportunity to learn through experience in a positive way rather than in a negative way which is when they're left to their own devices they learn those experiences in a negative way and to have mentors around them who can you know encourage coax them along a little bit must be so profound and and that's what tim does along with a whole lot of other people now you're doing a lot of work in small groups um i think small groups are really powerful in fact there's a famous phrase that you know a small group of committed people can change the world why do you think the small group experience is also important tim i reckon well i i know that we're all seeking belonging. We're all, we all want to be part of something. We want that connection with, with people. And that's what small groups allow. In a big group, if you're quiet, you can hide. If you're noisy, you can, you can be the voice. And there'll always be people who don't get heard and don't feel connected as a result. But to be able to be in a small group with a group of people and actually have the space, have the silence to actually be heard and contribute, I think is really, really powerful. Mm. Wow, the power of small groups and giving uh, everyone a voice. How good is that? Well, Tim, we're going to sort of think about some of the travels you've had in this great red land of Australia. Where have you been, Tim, that has really blown you away and sort of set the scene, describe it to us a little bit? Mm. I have had the chance to see a few different places, um, some of it on, on the road, but I think... I, I love my backyard, you know, like I live on in the the southeast corner um, near the beach. I love the water. I'm a sucker for water and for sunsets. <laughs> um, and when I was, as I think about this, there's probably three places that come to mind. Um, I, I love hanging out with, with blokes and just doing stuff again. It's all, they're all small group stuff, actually. It's funny that, yeah, I'll think about that. Um, me and a group of other other blokes, um, we one weekend we paddled across from we paddled across to uh, North Stradbroke Island, and I was just looking at the photo again this morning, actually, of of us sitting on the beach looking back towards Brisbane as the sun set, and just the beautiful orange water out in front of us, amazing, amazing place. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's one. Sitting on Kondamooka country, looking out at the sunset was just amazing. Uh, another one, again, the sunset thing, paddling up to paddling up Bribey Island 
and uh, sitting there looking out across the Glasshouse Mountains as the sun set there as well and just being blown away by just the the, the scape that was there you know just seeing the, the mountains and the yeah knowing that the, the world's turning and yeah and I think the third one um, the, the place that I, I love and it's some people might go what but um, the upper Brisbane River paddling down the upper Brisbane River on a cold misty morning and just with a small group of people canoes disappearing into the mist in front of you just this, these silhouetted boats and figures yeah yeah just amazing yeah not many people find the Brisbane River all that romantic we call it old brownie uh, for obvious reasons but uh, yeah I mean it's the setting and it's the people that you're with too and that's great now you've got hopes and dreams uh, Tim for the people that you work with what do you think about Australia I mean you're part of us now obviously you keep your connection with um, beautiful New Zealand but what are your hopes for for this nation as we look forward to the next you know five ten years yeah I think I've been I've been spoiled I've been spoiled being a part of both nations being part of New Zealand and Australia um, and I think one of the big shocks to me when I came to Australia was the difference in the way um, our various cultures across the country have connected or not connected um, and I guess you know what's a hope and an aspiration for the future is that that we have a, a and I don't know how naive I am in this um, and I don't understand all the hurt that's that's there but we have a, a shared cultural a shared journey together leading forward I really I, I'll be honest I really pray for that um, I really hope that that's something that as a nation we can have where we're together it's, it's we're not about moving forward separately but together where we are one mm. wow well, I think a lot of us absolutely share that dream so well said here here we're going to talk about life wisdom as we sort of begin to wrap up this podcast with Tim Everett. Um, and one of the opportunities I often give people is to share one life lesson that uh, they would like to pass on to people who might be listening. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing the one Tim might offer us today. Hmm. Yeah. It'll sound like, I'll be like a politician. I'll make it sound like one, but have more than one perhaps or something. I don't know. Um, and it's, it's probably a, a similar theme. You know, I was thinking if I, uh, I, I read someone's book, it was called Axiom, and it's about all these different little life things that you live by. Um, and I was thinking about what's, what's one of mine, like what's what matters to me. And I, th- I get in many ways what it boils down to is people matter. Um, and, but it's also, and it's about the journey, the journey that we're on together. Um, and I think about what what direction are we are we moving? And I think Warren, you and I have had a had a yarn before about um, kind of a the wells and fences kind of thing. Like sometimes it feels like you've, there's fences everywhere, and it's about are you are you in the fence or are you outside the fence? Are you in the club? Are you outside the club? Um, but I think my philosophy on life is a little bit more like there's a well, a well that's got water and are you heading towards the well or are you heading away from the well and sometimes heading away from the well is still part of your journey um, but having the the energy to get back to the well is important as well um, so so yeah that that 
people matter and that there's more you've got more to offer than perhaps what you think um you know you've got more to contribute you've got more that you could do than you perhaps imagined you could do and that's probably that's true for the people that are around you as well um they've they've got more to offer than perhaps what you give them credit for and perhaps what they see in themselves as well so about yeah how do we be on that journey together and sometimes that's about i don't know trusting that someone knows better than i do or yeah someone knows someone knows me better than i know myself and trusting trusting them hmm so that's really really good tim uh wells are better than fences and that's sort of something that has become a very important to tim and we see some of how that might have come to be when we hear you know the story of his life as we've had a little snapshot of of that today you've been listening to the red dirt nation podcast my name is warren crank you've been listening to tim everett and uh we uh, hope to chat soon hey we'll catch you later bye